I'm not going to admit to what I've done today. Maybe <gasps> I will. Well, now you have. You can't. You can't, you can't lead oh, in like man. that. Oh, we've entered oh, we a. <laughs> we've entered an alternate universe. illustrious guest Yoli known to us as Yoli Yolanda Origel Origel Oh man did I butcher that but Everybody calls me Origel I bet they do because <laughs> And I was like it can't possibly be like That's right <laughs> Yeah Origel. Okay Yolanda Origel Yes welcome to the show Please Yes welcome Orient us to the person that is you what are you? Yes. Why are you? How did you happen? And what got you here? All right. Oh, gosh. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you way, way back. Oh, I hope okay. so. <laughs> so I'm the youngest of seven kids. So you could just imagine how crazy my life was from the very beginning. I'm one very of seven. Loud family. Seven kids. My parents were crazy. I don't know what they were thinking, but seven Me neither. kids. <laughs> and uh, my dad's a musician slash farm worker came from mm. Mexico my mom was from Mexico too um, so we always had music playing and just it was just a fun loud household mm. and um, some of my earliest memories always involves music and my dad having the microphone stands and we'd have a races on how quickly we can tear down drum sets and set up the the mic stands and everything else so loud fun <laughs> home um but anyway just kind of fast forward into like seven or eight my mom was diagnosed with cancer and that just changed the whole family dynamic everything was oh, really wow. hyper focused on helping my mom kind of power through cancer she had a um, stage two cancer diagnosis and um later it progressed to stage three and then metastatic cancer so from like age seven through ten super hyper, hyper focused on my mom. Like that's all I remember is just spending so much time with her. And, uh, but I was a very inquisitive kid. So I, I'd like sat on the counter and watched her cook and I would sit there and have conversations with her. And I felt like I was like this little adult. So I just wanted to learn and connect with people just early on. So then that's kind of a trait that's continued on into my adulthood. So I'm always like eager to get to know mm -hmm. people and hear their story. Um, so anyway, long story short, as far as my childhood goes, my mom passed away and um, she was 42 when she passed. And, um, oh, you know, it was very tough for me. I actually I don't remember from like ages 10 to 13. Like, I don't really remember a whole lot, like who my friends were, what I did, just kind of think my own brain's way of coping and getting through that tough time. But then my teenage years came and. Thank God for my siblings because they were like my source of entertainment, but also, you know, my dad had to work his tail off to take care of us. So we basically raised ourselves in our crazy loud home. And um, so we had a lot of fun growing up, but you know, obviously we was, we had a lot of challenges and a lot of heartache too. So um, 
so that was my childhood going into like my uh, young adult life i actually got recruited really early on like 15 16 years old to be a part of a youth advisory council mm. for a community center that later turned into a boys and girls club so early on i started learning about developing programs and running a board meeting and writing Whoa. grants and presenting and doing all these things which really it was the start of my nonprofit career really it was like I was like 16 years old wow I thought I wanted to go to school and be a school teacher um so I did I went to school it was um going to college I wanted to be a kindergarten first grade second grade teacher but started working in the nonprofit that the community center that I had volunteered for and then I fell in love with that nonprofit work and I went and from staff member to program director to interim executive director and just kind of grew up in the club and um, fell in love with it. I honestly like that. I have such great memories of working in that club and connecting with kids. And they got for Facebook. Now I get some random emails from the kids that are now like 20, 30 years old with their own families of like, hey, you know, Aww. thanks so much for doing what you did. I would just, things that make me cry. The messages that I get just are so heartwarming and they touch my heart. So, um, anyway, I've been in the nonprofit sector for 25 years. Love it. Can't imagine my life outside of it. Um, just, it's just such a special period in my life working my tail off to make sure that these programs that we developed as kids kind of took off. So Mm -hmm. that's uh, amazing. Yeah. It's, it's, it was a really, fun and exciting period of my life just trying to just growing up in the club alone was um, and during those days was like when people were getting pregnant like a lot of my friends got pregnant a lot of teen pregnancy meth hit our little town I grew up in central California between Fresno and Bakersfield ag town like we had hills and dairy and orange trees and nothing else going on in our little town but uh we really needed some character development programs in our little town. And so uh, just knowing that I was a part of that, it was just a blessing. And it really just propelled my my nonprofit career. And so I decided to leave the valley. I wanted to get out of the valley mm-hmm. uh, when I was about 22. And then I decided to come to Southern California, um, Orange County, right, right between uh LA and San Diego's Orange County and fell in love with the place. I've been here now for 16 years and landed a job as a capital campaign manager with a, it was a $10 million capital campaign and then a $13 million capital campaign. I think it ended at like $18 million or something like that. Okay. You have to explain to me, like, what is a capital campaign? What does it mean? I don't even know. Basically we were gifted this piece of land at valued at like $2 million. Okay. And we had a plan to build a brand new YMCA in this piece of land that would take 10 million, 13 million, $18 million to build. And the whole idea is that the, where it was located was uh, high instances of childhood obesity and diabetes. Okay. So we wanted to build a club to keep kids active and working out, running and playing soccer and hopefully reducing those risks. So yeah, why well, was there probably six or seven years I worked in that role. And that's wow. where I was. I was diagnosed with breast cancer as well. I was right in the middle of capital campaigning, trying to raise all this money, working my tail off. And then boom, cancer came into my life. And I was 31 when I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. Uh, oh. And it was, I couldn't 
It wasn't a huge surprise because of my family history, but it still was a huge blow. It was crazy. Wow. And um, yeah, so I found out, I found it myself on Thanksgiving Day. And I had family coming over. I had a turkey in the oven. Uh, I was doing what I do. Uh, I got up at like six in the morning and started doing stuff at home, jumped in the shower. And when I came out of the shower and I was drying off, I had this pain, this intense pain. And I put my hand on my breast. I was like, oh my God, like, what is that? And I was like, holy crap, what is that? Like I felt it. Yeah. And I oh, knew, no. I'm like, oh gosh, like this. And I was feeling around, I was very defined kind of painful and I just kind of remembered the little shooting pain that I would have and I had a rash for a while and just all these things these symptoms these little red flags that I should have been paying attention to but wasn't uh, all came to me and it's like oh crap I I know this is cancer like I knew it I knew it was cancer (sighs) so anyway I stuffed my emotions for the day didn't tell anybody I Mm -hmm. had Thanksgiving to get through and then the following week I went to the doctor and you know, here I was a 31 year old asking for a mammogram and this was like a brand new doctor to me. He was, thank God he was so sweet. And he's just like, well, I feel it, but I don't want you to worry. So, um, Hmm. let's go ahead and schedule that mammogram for you. Like, okay. So I called the number and keep in mind, this is like the first week of December. The woman on the other, on the, on the end of the call, she said, the imaging center, she said, um, yeah, we can schedule the mammogram, but you can't come in until like the end of January, early February. Oh no. And like, uh, no, (laughs) I can't wait that long because I know this is cancer. I just need to confirm it. So I need you to see me by Friday. And she, she's like, I'm sorry, ma'am. Like everyone has an urgent, like has a store, like they have a reason why they want to get in and I can't get you in. I'm Uh, sorry. You're going to, they told you that. Yeah. She said, I'm sorry. Like everyone has a has a reason to come in early and I can't get you in. I'm sorry. Like, oh my you're going to have to wait your turn basically. And so I hung up, I called my doctor back and yeah. I said, I really need you to get this appointment in for me. I won't take no for an answer. Like Friday is the latest. So please make that happen. And he's, I think he Good was, for very, you. thank you. Yeah. I think he was worried and um, he called and then he called me back and he said, you have your appointment. They're going to call you in a few minutes to let you know what time. I didn't want to tell my family at that time what was going on until I knew for sure what was going on. I just kept mm-hmm. it to myself. And um, so Friday came and I went, I drove myself and had the mammogram done and the ultrasound done. I remember it was a rainy day and I went in thinking, okay, here's Friday. I probably won't know anything until Wednesday or something. Um, so I have a few days to kind of just get settled into this new world of mine, this new reality of mine. And so anyway, I went in there, they did the exam and it took like three texts to do the ultrasound. And they had me, the mammogram was actually really fast, but the crazy thing about this imaging center and I, if I, it's closed down since. So obviously I'm not going to complain about it now, but Mm -hmm. they set up this room, you walk in and they have this like waiting, this holding area facing all the rooms where you're getting the exams. So when the ladies come out of their exams, they face the people sitting there in their gowns getting ready to win. So I went in there, lots of people worked on me. I knew it was bad because they had so many people looking at my ultrasound and the head radiologist walked in there. Okay. And he turned the screen over to me and he said, do you see this? Do you see this? Do you see this? He's like, I'm almost 100% certain you have breast cancer. 
And I was just in shock because I, what, I didn't think that I would hear anything or know anything sure. at that, during that mm-hmm. mammogram or during that. Yeah. So I uh, freaked out. I started crying. And the first, one of the first things that came to my mind were the ladies that were waiting in the holding area. And I was going to, they're going to see me scared crapless. Oh. And then they're going to be scared too. So I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, oh. I have to pull myself together and, <sighs> You know, then the the thing that I actually verbalized was that, you know, am I going to die like my mom? Like, I couldn't help but ask that question. It's like, oh, my God, am I going to die like my mom? And I'm crying. And um, they're like, well, you know, you're young, you're strong. We'll get we'll get it figured out. Don't worry. Just, you know, but we we made we took the liberty of making an appointment with a breast surgeon and she's waiting for you right now. Whoa. So that made me even more scared. Oh, my God. Like, oh, my gosh. If, if they made the appointment for me, then. I'm dying. Oh, no. What am I going to do? And so um, they said, go downstairs, get your labs. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, get your scans, the images, drive down to the breast surgeon and, you know, you take it, she'll take it from there. Mm-hmm. So then I, I did, I went downstairs, I went and got the images, went to my, I don't, I was crying so hard. I don't remember driving. And, oh um, I pulled over just so I can look at my pictures, the images, and I'm freaking out. And I, I saw it. I'm like, okay, I know this is cancer. There's no, you know, he just said almost 100%, the doctor. So anyway, I took forever to get to the breast surgeon. So by the time I got there, poor, like I was late. I was running late and this, the surgeon was called to her neck surgery. So she couldn't see me. Mm-hmm. So they sent me home with my images for the weekend. And they told me to come back on Monday. Oh, no. Yeah. So I went home at that time. um, I was so I've been my brother's care provider. My brother has developmentally. He's developmentally disabled. He has um, some learning challenges and he's been diagnosed with um, autism Mm. and Asperger's. And um, so I've been his care provider now for like 20, 20 plus years. So he's living with me. And then about a month. Prior to that day, I had just received guardianship of my 13-year-old nephew. Wow. So I had two boys to take care of what? and you know, crazy life. <laughs> and then throw a cancer diagnosis in the mix, just kind of shook things up a little bit. But um, anyway, I went home to the boys and I couldn't bring myself to tell them or even show them that I, anything was happening. So I shut it off. I went in, shut it off, made dinner. And then Monday I went in and got my biopsy and my, my breast surgeon asked me if I wanted to come in for the results or get a phone call. And I asked her, just please call me because I don't think I could drive. Like, I just, I want to be home when you give me the news. Mm-hmm. So, um, for the next couple of days, I just prayed my heart out and I had a lot of people praying for me, the church, everybody's praying. And, um, Wednesday came and I, I got the phone call, you know, stage three, actually, she said, well, it's stage three, could be stage four. We need you to go in for a PET scan. And, but she said, even before we get the results of the PET scan, we really think you should start chemo. We made an appointment to see an onco and you're going to go to and have all these tests done, the BRCA gene tests, all the tests. Mm-hmm. And, um, I look at my calendar now, like, holy cow, like I couldn't believe how much activity was involved in getting this di- diagnosis. So yeah. anyway, busy times, but yeah, it was a, 
crazy period in my life and they confirmed it was stage three. Thank God it didn't spread anywhere else besides the lymph nodes. Like it went into the oh, lymph nodes. I actually God. had three tumors in one breast. So two tumors wow. together and one deep that was found through the MRI that we didn't even see in the mammogram. Wow. So a lot of cancer. Um, and then I started chemo the day after Christmas and lost my hair right on New Year. Crazy. Um, I had like oh long God. hair like down to my waist. Yeah. And we, I wanted to not scare the boys. I'm like, all right, guys, we're going to have a haircutting party. We're mm-hmm. going to bring my hair and we're going to chop it off and just kind of made it a fun thing. And my, my nephew was rocking out with my wigs and stuff. We just kind of oh. made it a lighthearted event. But um, I was freaking out inside. I'm not going to lie. It was super scary knowing that I was going to go into this, you know, life battle, not knowing if I was going to win, you know. So yeah. it was hard. Um, so I started chemo first. Had 16 weeks of chemo, uh, adriamycin cytoxin, so the red devil that yeah. everybody knows about when you're in the onco world. Had that, and then, um, so four, four of AC, four Taxol. Taxol was super hard for me, too. I had a lot of joint pain, neuropathy, just, I had a lot of pain, lots of pain. Wow, yeah. And, um, you know, it just, I, I was ma- trying to manage the pain as, as best as I could, and the pain medicine wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And so I went and, and sought help from a homeopathic doctor that got me on hydration protocols and protein shakes and clean eating and sleep. Like uh, just, I did everything that I could to yeah. change how I was eating and drinking water and hydrating all those things. And it made such a huge difference, like night and day. Really? So I oh, always wow. talk about the importance huh. of diet and sleep and hydration because you know, this those are the things that you don't want to do when you're going through chemo. It's like mm-hmm. water tastes like crap, food tastes like mm-hmm. crap, can't sleep, you're mm-hmm. anxious, you know, so yeah. so important to stay on top of it. But anyway, so 16 weeks of chemo and then I had a bilateral mastectomy, which was, by the way, the easiest the decision to make. Like, get these suckers <laughs> off of me. I couldn't mm-hmm. get them off of me fast enough. And um, yeah, I just wanted to wake up knowing that they were gone. Like cancer's gone, boobs are gone, who cares? We'll rebuild them later. Um, So anyway, easy decision to make. And then I moved right into radiation right after that. So I had seven weeks of daily radiation. Hmm. And then I healed for about six months. And then I started the year-long process of reconstruction. And they use my lat muscle, the lat flap reconstruction process and I called my my breast my uh what I call them my bionic boobs <laughs> my bionic boobs um yeah I had some amazing doctors I love my doctors um and yeah that I felt like that was gonna be the end of my cancer story it's like all right cool like now I'm in yeah. the survivorship mode and I fully embraced being a cancer survivor, like immediately started doing all the races and representing ah. and wearing pink shirts and just super proud to that. I, what I got, what I went through, I was very proud of how I handled it. And I learned a lot about myself and yeah. my faith was boosted and just my family was closer. Just a lot of silver linings to this cancer journey of mine, experience of mine. And so anyway, I was like on top of the world as a survivor. And then eight years into my survival, my sister was diagnosed with cancer. So, oh. you know, it's like my life is bookended with cancer. Mm-hmm. And then here I am in the middle. And the, I talk about 
the three stories, my mom, myself, my sister, and these three unique experiences, because here my mom was, she was an immigrant from Mexico, underinsured, language barrier, mm. had her seven, eight, nine-year-old daughter uh, providing translation services so she could make informed decisions. Here mm. I was, best doctors, best insurance, good health outcome. And then fast forward to my sister. She had developmental disabilities, underinsured, terrible, terrible aftercare, oh, and no. didn't have a good health outcome. So, you know, it's like, wow, these three stories in one, and what can I do with it? Because here I am, here I was, an you know, eight-year cancer survivor on top of the world, and then I lost my sister. And I didn't know what the hell to do with that at first. You know, yeah. so I went right into grief state. Obviously, just, you know, the loss of my sister was so traumatic for me because I was in charge of her care. She was in my care when I when she passed. I brought her here to Southern California when I found out it was about a year after she found out she didn't tell anybody for the longest time. So I oh. wish she would have told me because like I would have done everything in my power to help her early on and maybe she'd still be here. But um, anyway, it didn't work out that way. And but when I did find out, I went and got her and basically forced her to come here. You know, this was in October, October 1st, I brought her here and she passed away the day after Christmas. So super fast. Um, But anyway, she, she fought as hard as she could. And we tried everything that we could, you know, with the short timeline that we had and the advanced stage cancer that she had, there was nothing that we could really do. So we just loved on her and, you know, did everything that we could to make sure that she died with dignity and that she knew she was loved and supported. So, you know, I had to, I had to be the one to tell my dad that, you know, she had cancer and wasn't going to make it. I had to be the one to tell that their mom wasn't going to be able to go home. It was such a hard, hard period. Worse than my cancer. Like I would rather go through cancer, my cancer a million times than go through that. Because the heartache that came with losing my sister was overwhelming. I couldn't, it's hard to put into words. It's making me emotional right now. Yeah. So anyway, I I felt like I was a machine when I was taking Mm -hmm. care of her. Mm -hmm. And then when she passed, then is when I finally had the time to just process what happened. Right. Um, went through grief support. Thank God for St. Joseph's, my, my cancer center, the hospital that I went to, they have this amazing hospice center. So even after my sister passed, they kept bugging me and saying, we really think you should go to grief support. Oh. And then I get a phone call. We really think you should go to grief support. And then they'd send me a letter. We really think you should go to grief support. I'm like, damn it. Okay. I'll go to grief support. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and thank God for grief support because I was finally able to let my walls down and have a conversation about it, you know, without having yeah. to worry about my family's feelings. You know, I, I'm a protector. I want to protect them of all things. So, you know, even when I was going through cancer, I never told them I was in pain or was scared. Never did I ever say that out loud to them ever. Wow. So, mm-hmm. you know, going through this loss of my sister, that's when I really needed to grieve my mom's loss, grieve my own, you know, health loss. And then, or my own diagnosis, and then, you know, obviously my sister's. So um, grief support was really good for me, but I, I really spent a lot of time praying and hiking. I started hiking as much as I could. Like that was my outlet and a time for me to really just 
dig deep into my own emotions and just kind of let go. Um, so hiking was super healing for me. And that it was during the hikes that I decided that I needed to do something with my cancer survivorship and yeah. um, started to plan, start making, I started making plans and um, figuring out in my head, okay, what are some of the gaps? Like, what do people need? And uh, mm-hmm. what can I bring to the table that's different from what's already being offered out there in different nonprofits and different co- nonprofit programs? And that's this whole idea about human connections just kept resonating with me. And st- mm-hmm. I was just drawn to this whole human connection and the healing and human connection like th- that just kept calling to me. And so that's that was really the, the birth of my little nonprofit that I have now called Cancer Kinship. And uh it's just, it's, it's, I'm still learning about myself, my own emotions, how I process things, just like, what the hell happened in this whirlwind of life that is mine? Yeah. And mm-hmm. try not to drown in the darkness of it because, you know, death is dark and death, death by cancer is very heavy and sad. It could be. And I didn't want to stay there. So sorry. Mm-hmm. I just, I've been rambling, talking. I didn't even give you guys a chance to respond. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. No. I'm, I mean, uh, recognizing, especially women, I feel like for their strength and the way that they've had to sacrifice themselves is so problematic mm-hmm. because I think it just, in a way it casually teaches us that like that's okay and that's expected and look you can do it so well done so like part of me it just like can't help but recognize like you said that you were a machine like yeah you were absolutely a machine like to be able to mm-hmm. raise your siblings and go through this which your own cancer experience is a re-traumatization of what happened to you when your mother got sick and then to have then after you're done and you're in this like survivor phase, this kind of celebration of life for yourself that it would happen again. I just, you're a machine, but, but you're not a machine. You're a person. And that is at every level. So unfair. And you should have had so much more. I just want so much more support for, for the you that went through that. You know what I mean? Like, uh, now part of the healing that I experienced during my own cancer battle was actually through service. And, um, you know, hearing you say it's not fair to you, you you know, you should have had more time to kind of embrace this survivorship life and, and my immediate response to that, it's not fair to you. It's like, no, but it's okay. You know, like that is my, that was my, yeah. I wanted to say that right now. Yeah. Yeah. Back to um, thinking outside of myself. Mm. Uh, but anyway, when I was going through cancer, like second year into my treat, actually I was done with treatment. So year after my treatment, year two, my breast surgeon, she called me one day and she said, I have this patient. She's about your age. She's really scared. She's, she can't make decisions because she's that scared and you're mm. doing so well. How do you feel about picking up the phone and calling her or meeting her for coffee or whatever? Mm-hmm. Like, okay. So I called her 
we had a lovely chat. We actually met in person and we were supposed to chat for 30 minutes. And then we ended up talking for like two and a half hours uh-huh. and wow. laughed and cried and shared resources, just oh. instant sisterhood. It was beautiful. She's still my friend 10 years later. And uh, after that, then I started getting more and more phone calls. My doctor kept calling me even more. So I've been serving as a patient mentor all of these years, 10, 10 plus years. So for me, it, I had a sense of purpose early on. So even though I didn't have a lot of time to bask in this survivorship glory, it's still been very healing for me to be able to at least, it wasn't for nothing. Like I was able to help somebody. And I always remember my mom and the kind of person that she was and the things that she talked about, even when she knew she was dying. And I remember her strength, but more than anything, it just how she reacted to things and how she interacted with people and the human connection that she had, like just how she was just very, um, what's the word nurturing, very nurturing. And I observed that and really respected her for that as a child. So I wanted to make sure that, that I embodied that, that I, that was me. I wanted to be that person. So even when I was going through cancer and just given to be given the opportunity to serve as a mentor for somebody else to me was very healing because I got to see how, what it did for somebody else. So I I don't feel like, I mean, I do feel like I've healed a lot through that experience more than most people do if they don't have that experience, I guess it's hard to explain. But I think I immediately understand what you're saying because Every time I get to talk to somebody else who's like a little bit behind me in this, it does like they're so grateful to talk to someone who's already gone through it. But I'm so grateful to be able to talk to them because you're right. It's like part of the mm-hmm. healing process to reach back and kind of help someone along. Like I get as much from it, I feel like, as the person on the other end. Exactly. That's exactly how I feel. Yeah. yeah. It's been a wild ride, let me tell you. <laughs> so much cancer, but oh man, there I think because there has been so much cancer in my life, like yeah. It sounds cliche about that whole rose-colored glasses and you know, just it's true. Like I feel like I appreciate things on the highest level possible. And a lot of people don't get it, which is fine. <laughs> I wonder, I get the question, I get asked a lot, like, well, how are you always smiling after everything that you've gone through? Like, how is it that you can keep that smile? And honestly, I attribute that to my own faith. And, but aside from that, it's just gosh, like the relationships that I've built along the way, mm-hmm. I just, I, I don't want to, I would never trade that ever. Yeah. Well, tell us more about cancer kinship and what it is and what you guys offer, what you can offer to people experiencing cancer or who have experienced cancer. So before I go into the nonprofit, going back a little bit to the human connection thing theme that I keep bringing up. So when I was going through cancer and probably about a couple years in also, I went to one support group meeting that was for um, the BRCA gene. So I was in a room with a bunch of folks and honestly, I didn't want to be there. I just, I don't know. I just, I didn't, I didn't feel like I could connect with anyone that, you know, that was going through what I had gone through. Just, even though it was a cancer group, Mm -hmm. you know, being a child that lost a parent and then now going through it myself, I just feel like I wouldn't connect with anybody. But anyway, there was this person, this gal sitting next to me and somebody said something extremely funny during the intro that made us all laugh and her laughter 
was so incredibly loud. <laughs> that <laughs> laugh. And I thought to myself, dang, I need to have this woman in my life because just her laughter alone is going to make me crack up on a daily basis. Right? <laughs> so, there you go. I befriended her, right? She's my best friend to this day. So she's a, oh, a stage awesome. cancer survivor. And the thing about our friendship and relationship is that like, it's almost like we have this unspoken language. Mm. Like we can just look at each other and just understand what, what each other's going through. Or mm-hmm. she and I could say, hey, we're on our way to the gyno onco and we're like, we know exactly what's going to happen during those appointments. <laughs> so we make jokes and we have like the darkest humor ever. We laugh about the things that I could never make jokes about with anybody else. But anyway, it's just a special relationship that I have. And because I've experienced that and know what it's done for me, I want to make sure that when I develop cancer kinship, that the primary first program out the gate was our our connections program. I call it cancer connections where, you know, we have people that have a lived cancer experience, a cancer survivor that has an interest in giving back and being of service and training them to be the be that person be that person for Mm -hmm. someone else who's just starting out and i remember during the year all the years that i've been a mentor people always ask me how do i get to do what you're doing how do i get to connect with other patients i want to do what you're doing yeah and before cancer kinship i never really had an answer on how to get involved other than talk to your doctor so and that was the main program that i wanted to develop but knowing that there are some elements that need to be included in mentorship that really could prove our case, like why this is important. Because there's so much support resources available for research and prevention, a lot of money in prevention, mm-hmm. which is working by the way, because survivorship numbers are growing exponentially, and which is a good thing. That's like the best news we could share is that prevention is working. But now, yeah. but what are we doing with the people that have been diagnosed that are hearing the words today you have cancer or I've heard it over the last however many years you have cancer. What about them? Yeah. And now that people are living longer, what are we doing to support them to re-engage back into life once they're done with cancer? Cancer is so disruptive in your life. You get the rug put out for you. It affects every aspect of your life from relationships to finances, to your faith, employability, like everything. It affects everything. So what can we do with that? So anyway, I wanted to make sure that any programs that we developed really addressed the the topics that nobody really talked about, the emotional side of cancer, dealing with depression, anxiety, all the mental health issues that cancer patients experience at one point or another. Every patient has experienced some form of depression, some sort of form of anxiety. Fear is a, up at the top of the list. So mm-hmm. what are we doing to address those things? And then because I'm so passionate about human connections what are we doing to facilitate conversations connections relationships friendships whatever but in a fun engaging way because damn it we just fought for our lives so we need to have fun (laughs) yeah not only that yeah i can get on board exactly so what can we do that's yeah that sounds awesome like what are we going to do to stay active because we do need to lessen reduce those risks of recurrence i'm Mm -hmm. always fearful of recurrence that is my life you know, my mom died from breast cancer recurrence. My sister died. We all have the risk. So it's like, okay, what can we do? Well, some of the easiest things, easier said than done, but easy things is like, just get active. What can you do to stay active? Walk, hike, whatever. 
So I wanted to combine socialization and turn that into my sneaky wellness program and do some hiking groups and things like that. So um, that is really what Cancer Kinship is. We want to address the, the emotional, the psychosocial impact of cancer for all cancer patients. So not just breast cancer that has a lot of attention and a lot of resources, but what are some of those other cancers that maybe don't have as many resources? And right. what are, you know, how can we support them? And it's right now it's just adults. So 18 and over, but my heart of hearts, because my, my career started in youth development, every ounce of my being wants to develop transition programs for kids that are leaving the um, peds and going into adult onco. And what are we doing to transition them into adulthood? And how do oh, we wow. help address their emotional needs, their mental health needs yeah. during the transition? Because their life has been completely disrupted. Even their own development has been disrupted. So what can we do to support them? So at some point in the future, I'm putting it out there right now, we're going to be doing, <laughs> we're going to develop some programs for the kids that are transitioning out into adulthood. So that's awesome. That's yeah. So, but COVID actually I mean, disrupted a lot of things, <laughs> you know, I yeah, this yeah. and, oh gosh, November of 2018, we launched this nonprofit. I left my full-time job, leap of faith. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent, but I'm taking off. Whoa. And the transition actually took a lot longer because obviously I need to survive and, you know, put food on my own table. Mm-hmm. But, um, nevertheless, I, I took that leap and we kicked off our nonprofit started in November. And then from November to last October, a lot of work done for infrastructure development. So even like the naming of our org and the website development, program development already in progress, but fundraising, writing grants, doing all the things that you need to do to basically develop the foundation of your organization so that we can kick off programs yeah, on a good footing. So yeah, October, we started our programs, Cancer Connections, Peer Mentorship, our Survivor Empowerment Education Program, our Socialization Program. And then I want to add the fourth layer, which is resource navigation, because a lot of cancer patients need help paying their mm-hmm. bills, putting food on their table. And a lot of the nurse navigators don't know where to send them outside of the normal few, three or four that they have in their list. But anyway, we launched everything in October. And then a few months later, COVID happened. So needless to say, outreach needed to look so much more uh, different, a little bit different. And so we decided to digitize everything. We transitioned everything online, all of our training programs, our workshops, you name it, everything 100% is online right now. That's awesome. because of that, we are now running programs nationwide. So we have clients joining us through Zoom through sky teams through i mean i i actually behind me i have a couple maps that i put up on the wall and i started plotting where everybody's coming from and it's nice to see the pins from all across the nation now so it's like all right we're national (laughs) that's really that's excellent congratulations thank you so anybody anywhere can get involved with your organization anywhere yeah, that's awesome. And we have um, our, our website is is uh, has all the information about our program, program description. But really, the way to find our workshops is through Eventbrite. Everything is, is on Eventbrite. People could register there. And once okay. they do, then they'll get all the, the login information for Zoom or Teams or whatever I'm using, whatever platform I'm using. 
And I know you guys, because you did it today, do these painting workshops, which I guess is like here in Texas, there are these places called painting with a twist. And I guess the twist is you get to drink booze while you paint. So Mm -hmm. is that kind of what you guys do, like virtual painting and drinking? Without the twist. Without the twist. (laughs) So can I bring my own twist? To your painting uh, workshops? You know, uh, you can bring whatever kind of twist you want to bring. To All right. <laughs> yeah, no, this one, uh, so I've done a lot of in-person painting events, mm-hmm. and they're kind of fun. It's, everybody paints the same painting, the sunset or a tree or whatever. Yeah. Ours is not like that at all. It's actually a little bit more abstract. Ooh. But the, it's facilitated conversation where we start with, like, a meditation just to keep us centered and in the present moment. And mm-hmm. then our facilitator prompts us so she says like today for example um the first one i'm sorry the second one the the deeper one was really more about the true essence of you and it's basically creating three scenes on one canvas or on one piece of paper and she started off by okay when when you were a child you know what were some of the things that really made you you what did you do and when you think about those memories what are some of the colors that you feel? What are some of the emotions that you're feeling? All right, go to work. And you just like basically throw paint on paper on canvas and come up with this like beautiful expression of you. And then wow. she's oh, like, okay, cool. next scene. Now you're in like your mid twenties. You, you finally land into adulthood. How did you feel when you finally felt that sense of independence? And then the next scene, it's like, all right, now then you're into your older adulthood. You got through, went through cancer. What did you learn? How did you feel when you heard the news? And what have you learned about yourself? What does that look like in painting and colors? Boom. And then all of a sudden, it's like you have these three scenes in one that represents you, your entire being, your whole essence is on this paper or canvas. And it's just such a beautiful, everyone has a different piece. They tell their story and why they picked what color and how they felt. And this, it's a, such a deeper experience than a typical paint and sip experience. Wow. So From childhood yeah, to cancer. That's cool. Yeah. I'm going to definitely have to bring a twist to that. Maybe a couple of twists, maybe three. <laughs> And you know what? And we do get deep and a lot of the conversations kind of go there. And, but the scenes always end on a light note, like on a higher note, you know, we talk, it does get a little bit more lighthearted, but the whole idea is for us to lean into our cancer experience and lean into this experience that makes us us, you know, it's not good or bad or whatever. It's just, it's you. And what does that look like? And it's a good way to creatively express yourself is giving yourself permission to play with colors and inks and just kind of let it go so that you don't have to carry that heaviness inside of you. I like that. I like that. It's not good or bad or whatever. It's just you. I really like that. I want to put that on a t-shirt. All right. In two weeks, you can join us. You can be a part of our experience. Bring your twist. I will. (laughs) Oh, God, I need to get some paints and a canvas. Well, you know, I, since COVID, this is actually designed to be an in-person program. And then COVID happened and I called my facilitator and I'm like, okay, let's get creative. Let's figure out how to transition this online. Yeah. And the, the biggest barrier is like, well, not everybody has paint. Like, right. Okay. Okay, well, I have lipstick and I have eyeshadows and I have <gasps> paint, like copy paper. And some lady brought like a piece of cardboard that she ripped off our Amazon box. And she used lipstick. Like everybody just uses what they have. And okay, that's awesome. I love, I love this. This is. (laughs) I can do that. This is awesome. (laughs) Yeah. 
And the cool thing is that it's supposed to be abstract. So even if you just do whatever on the canvas or paper, cardboard, doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You I'm could, sold. You could use a cereal box, like, like unfolded yeah. the inside of it. You yeah. Totally use that. Super smooth. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's a good idea. Well, I definitely mm-hmm. have enough cardboard boxes. Uh <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Gee, I wonder why. Well, we'll get to that. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, that's amazing. And I I can't overstate, and I, I don't think they've done a lot of research on this that I can find because I looked, but I feel like outcomes for people who have other people, you know, yeah. are better. Right. Like, that's why I love the use of your word kinship which i haven't thought of that word in a long time and i thought why does that mm-hmm. sound so familiar and now i remember cuz i was talking to my sister yesterday and she used to force me to watch anne of green gables and didn't wasn't anne of green gables and her friend like they were like uh kindred spirits or something didn't they say that a lot and so that's what i was thinking of <laughs> and i didn't really enjoy anne of green gables but i do enjoy <laughs> you and your website so Yeah, kinship. And it's so inviting. It's so just open. And you're right. It's it's all cancers. Because man, my mind spends a lot of time, spends a lot of its cancer thinking around breast cancer. Uh, And that's just me. I'm classically selfish. But there are other (laughs) cancers. And as much as Breast cancer is kind of fighting to be taken as seriously, I feel sometimes, as other cancers because it is as deadly. Mm-hmm. Also, we get such the limelight because it's such a more palatable cancer, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No one wants to talk about colon cancer. There's no t shirt for colon cancer. There's no way to make that, you know, what, what is the color of colon cancer? Like, there's just, there's no marketing for it. That is also something to focus on, but people yeah. are also dying. And it's like, you talked about the dark humor and like, I feel like that's why I need that because I can't ignore the dark part of this, but right. to just have the dark part all the time would be overwhelming. So. And but- I think it's actually, it creates, it's a disservice to always think about cancer survivorship in a positive way too. Right. Mm-hmm. Because there are people uh-huh. that are living with cancer that have brain or have metastasis and are living 12, many, many years with cancer. Um, but also take offense to the word survivor, you know, or you think about being a survivor and everything yes. is a celebration or a race or whatever. And it's like, yeah. So even when I talk about our programs and when I'm trying to make the case for support, mm-hmm. I talk about mm-hmm. the dark side of cancer survivorship to bring awareness to all the things that cancer survivors and people living with cancer have to deal with that. Um, it's like the unintended consequences of cancer. Mm-hmm. And it's important to bring the light and shine the light on it because only then are we going to be able to resolve it or at least come up with some solutions and provide resources and support It's needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This just what you're doing is such an it just seems like such a a needed thing and such an amazing service. And the way that you've been able to pivot in such a short amount of time to meet the needs of a global pandemic is is pretty remarkable. So Mm -hmm. 
Thank you. Yeah, I, I didn't do it alone. That's for sure. I it we came to a screeching halt for about a week. I don't even want to call it screeching halt. Programs came to a screeching halt. My brain was on fire. <laughs> In fact, <laughs> so I love flip charting. I love flip chart paper. I always have some somewhere. Yeah. So I turned my entire home into flip chart central <laughs> and decided, okay, if we're gonna do everything, turn everything into an online program, what do we need? You know, volunteers, technology, program development, funding, whatever. And just went to town on trying to figure out, okay, what do I need? How are we going to make this happen? And I'm yeah. not the most tech savvy person, but I have the craziest ideas. <laughs> and I, again, I could not have done it, all of this by myself. I called an emergency board meeting with my executive council and I said, okay, guys, this is the situation. From a funding standpoint, we have to cancel two fundraising events because we can't meet in person. And that's mm. the only way we can raise money because we're tiny and a lot of the grant mm. funders won't fund us because we're that tiny and we're that new. So there goes that money. And then we were funded for a pretty significant grant that then the funder decided to pivot and give their funds to uh, meet basic needs of folks. Obvious need. Oh. Good. Please take the money and run with it. But it mm. also left a significant yeah. deficit for us. So like in one month, we lost like 40 grand. Wow. And oh, wow. Huge wow. for our tiny little nonprofit. So, you know, I had the hard conversation with my board and I said, hey, you know, this is the situation. As of next week or week and a half, we can't make payroll. And mm. we're going to have to get creative with our fundraising. And this is what I'm proposing. Here's a plan that I flip charted the heck out of <laughs> now it's a comprehensive fine fund development plan how do you feel but it starts with you like we can't go out and raise money if my own council isn't 100 percent bought in starts with you how do you feel about it totally okay with taking a pause if we need to though like this a lot of nonprofits did that they actually paused for it and they're still paused for now until things kind of open up again but in my heart of hearts there's no way that we could stop like we just need to keep going because right now is when cancer patients need they are they're experiencing the highest level of isolation ever yes. you know they're yeah. losing their jobs and now won't have medical insurance that'll pay for their treatment so now they're at a risk of losing their treatment yes. you know what are we right. doing to support them so anyway pausing was not an option but obviously that was a conversation topic brought it to the table and my board just jumped right in Wow. 100% giving like within weeks we had dollars in the door and then we launched a, a small fundraising campaign on global giving day in May. So through social media, we raised some funds and we've been able to stay afloat and, but very creatively <laughs> stayed yeah. afloat, you know, and it's just, it's taken a village to just keep us going. It, it's been pretty amazing to, to witness that, to see how committed people are and how passionate they are about our mission. And it's very heartwarming for me and it energizes me. It keeps me going so that I am waking up at four o'clock in the morning and working mm -hmm. at 4am, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's very invigorating work for me. Wow. Yoli, it sounds like you have a lot of really dedicated people to your nonprofit. It, it sounds like, um, you know, they all have that same kind of drive that you do. And that's pretty incredible. So really yeah, congratulations. Incredible. I'm so blessed. We counted. I'm a data geek. I love collecting data. <laughs> so it's like, okay, how many volunteers did it take to launch our nonprofit? So to date, we counted. It's been over 80 volunteers, served more than 
2,500 hours valued at almost $70,000 at the lowest end possible. Like that's what it's taken wow. to get us to where we are right now. And I'm so, uh, like, it's just, it, I, I don't even have words to describe how thankful I am. Like I, my heart overflows with gratitude for those 80 people. It's amazing. It is amazing. Wow. Also amazing. I don't anybody, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also amazing though, is like just the, like the level to which you are such a boss. Like I can only fantasize about being able to say, I called an emergency board meeting. Like I can't, I would love to say that. <laughs> that sounds so cool. <laughs> So, yeah, congratulations. Not a meeting I wanted to call, trust me. <laughs> no, I mean, it sounds awful, but amazing at the same time. Okay, so. Uh, they're so great. I honestly, like, my board chair is actually my breast surgeon. So wow. Doctor that helped save my life. And oh. She's the one that really inspired me to serve as a mentor. And has connected me to her patients and has supported me in these higher level conversations with funders and her own hospital. Like she's just been a, she's just a powerhouse woman. Mm, and awesome. she, she was right there. She is my true partner. And, um, I have several other board members that have their own cancer experience that they've gone through. I have an amazing woman who's a uh, executive director of American cancer society, West region. She's on our, our council. Wow. My, oncologist who retired I told him he was not allowed to break up with me (laughs) (laughs) how do you feel about volunteering we can't break up (laughs) so my oncologist who saved my life is now a partner in this effort as well that's amazing that's awesome. It's amazing. It's such a great reminder right now, especially just with the way where my mind is that there are amazing great quality people in the world and there's so many of them and i can't i can't lose sight of that um it sounds like cancer kinship has so much to offer people what advice do you have because bridging the gap between knowing that a resource is out there and an individual accessing that resource i feel like sometimes that's a huge gap so what advice do you have for someone honestly like me who most of the time just wants to curl up into a fetal position under my covers, you know, and stay there. How, how do I get motivated to actually get onto Eventbrite, look up your organization and sign up for these cereal box lipstick painting classes? (laughs) Well, it really needs to, what, what drove me to seek out the resources is really the people that I love. Right. And, and working outside of myself and thinking, okay, if I want to survive, obviously for myself, but to really be able to show up for the people that I love, then I need to help myself. It's that whole oxygen analogy, right? Where you have to put your oxygen mask before you can help somebody else. And I, Mm -hmm. I need to follow my own advice, honestly, because I'm terrible at giving myself oxygen, but it's true. Like you have to advocate for yourself. You have to be aware of your own needs. So just paying attention to yourself Mm -hmm. like that for me, I knew that I couldn't keep popping Vicodin to manage my pain. Like that first and foremost, like it, I am ineffective as a human. I'm on pain meds and that's going to, I'm going to go downhill really quickly. What can I do to change my diet? What can I do to, how can I have a conversation with my doctor about this? So really advocating for yourself and your Mm -hmm. own needs. 
But it starts with knowing your needs, understanding your true essence, your true self and what your how your body's responding to treatment, how you're responding to surgery, just showing up for yourself and then seeking that support. The thing that I did not have when I was going through cancer that I wish I did was support through nurse navigation or social worker support at the cancer center level. Mm. Or if you're not at a cancer center, you know, seeking out support. The nurses in oncology are like super women or super, super nurses. Not everyone's a woman, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's super nurses and they are resource connectors and will really go to bat for you. So once you yeah. realize what it is that you need, or even if you don't know, at least having a conversation, it's like, damn, I'm really feeling anxious, or I can't seem to get myself out of bed, or I can't stop crying. What the hell can I do about this? Mm-hmm. Having those conversations with your nursing staff or a social worker, nurse navigator, they're going to do something for you and with mm-hmm. you. Yeah. So speaking up for yourself is first and foremost, the most important thing you can do, really. Yeah. I think Absolutely. Also- I think also for me, sometimes like when I feel overwhelmed about just, I feel, I feel so much guilt around when I don't work out. And right now in a pandemic, it's super hard because I can't go to a gym. I can't go to a spin class, you know, so I have to do it at home, which means no one's holding me accountable but me. And so sometimes it helps me, I find, because I think I have to show up to everything 110%. I think I have to go do this 30 minute workout on an app and I have to do it like the best ever. And so what I've started telling myself is you are going to work out today, but you only have to give 50%. You only have to do half the workout. And like in that way, I can show up knowing that I can phone it in. And then most of the time I get swept up in it and I do give 110%, but just getting there, it's like I have to negotiate with myself. So I don't know if that mm-hmm. resonates with anybody else, but that's something I tell myself, like you, you only, you can phone it in, just show up. You can and show up and do a, a do it poorly. And then that kind of gives just me permission. Up. Yeah. 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 Like show up, yeah. paint a really bad picture. And if that's the goal, that's like super attainable. <laughs> yes it's those baby steps and you know for me like I'm always like the go 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 get like yeah. you said 110 percent uh-huh. the mindset thing like, and it's true like I haven't I barely went on a hike the other day I'm a <laughs> hiker and I've been too lazy to hike it's uh-huh. one it's too hot I I heat and I don't get along no me way. neither so, it's way too I hot I can beat cancer but if it's 100 degrees outside I will curl up and stay inside oh <laughs> yes thank you <laughs> Yeah, you guys are the sane ones. I'm the one out there. Yeah, you're the one sweating it out in a baseball cap. I can't do it. You're doing karate in like full sunlight, and I'm like, I can't go to the store today because uh, it's hot. So, and it would take a long time for the car to <laughs> cool down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else you want us to know, Yoli, about you or about cancer kinship that we haven't covered? Um. Well, we're certainly looking for those partnerships. Partnerships, what I mean by that are folks that are interested in spreading the word. Like I always talk Mm -hmm. about, we don't want to be the best kept secret. Mm -hmm. (laughs) People need to know about us. So if anything, if anyone wants to do anything to help us, just tell somebody about us, you know, Mm -hmm. spread the word, share, share our 
or stuff on your social media. Like we really need support in the awareness piece because a lot of the resource sharing that we would typically do like at an in-person resource fair or right. having a speaking engagement, like all that stuff is out the door mm-hmm. and everything's online right now. And there's so much uh, competition for attention. Yeah. yeah. And I'll just be honest with you. I don't have time to post stuff on social media all day. <laughs> so yeah. you know, I, but, you know, if anybody's listening to this and they want to share about us, then thank you so much. But um, also, if there's any healthcare professionals that are listening mm-hmm. and are interested in learning more, not even about just us, cancer kinship, but learning more about patient needs and having conversations. And I would be happy to share my story and talk about why we need these services, why we need these resources. Yeah. Just, you know, I'm looking for ways to get plugged in. Mm-hmm. And it's such a dynamic cool. story that yeah i'm just super grateful that you were cool and willing to come on this show after i just kind of you know reached out to you blind jade who was on a show previously was like you have to meet this person she's amazing Uh and so and you were very cool about you're like okay stranger i'll entertain this idea (laughs) i love that i know it was so awesome well, I'm not going to lie. I, I was nervous jumping into this, but um, I listened to Jade's story, which mm-hmm. is very compelling as well. And she's such an articulate speaker. Jade. And um, I was just so moved by her story and your both of your willingness to share stories like hers. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, let's, let's talk. Let's figure out how to get these stories out there. Like, that's such a huge part of support is giving people the platform to share their story. That's yeah. Great. That's really important. Oh, Oh, hey, like I said, this is all for me. I get a lot out of it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I don't know about you, Lauren, but, you know, I'm in it for the fame. I'm here to help Jocelyn. Thank you. Thank you. You're going to help Jocelyn get famous. That's why you're Uh here. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Mm Going to be famous. Not as a... Not as a singer, that's for sure. Okay. Let's end with like one really quick, fun, off topic. I want us each to share strange coping mechanisms that we have developed as a result of this pandemic. I will go first. Okay. Always been like, not always been, but just in the last 10 years, I've gotten really into like skincare. I discovered Carolyn Hirons, who is like this British esthetician, like she's been in the industry. She completely changed the way that I treat my skin. And then I just became like obsessed after radiation. My present was to myself was a monthly facial. I would get a facial every month, which I can't do right now. So I'm like way into talking skincare with people. Anytime someone's like, I need a good moisturizer. I, I just like send them way too much information. I'm way into it. (laughs) But lately I've crossed over into another realm of skincare that I am not very familiar with, and it makes me a little bit nervous, but I straight up bought a dermaplaner, a dermaplane thing. It is basically a a really sharp straight blade that you take to your face and you like shave off the dead skin cells and your peach fuzz, which people think that when you shave your face, it's going to grow back into like some kind of gross beard or something. No. The, the hair follicles on your face are not like the hair follicles on your legs. They're completely different. So whatever peach fuzz you have on your face is the peach fuzz that's going to come back. Egg, 
exactly the same. I can attest to this because I suddenly stopped getting dermaplane treatments in February and I am not a bearded woman. Also, <laughs> side note, if your look is oh bearded God. woman. Your way of becoming famous, damn it. I know, right? <laughs> Just saying, just saying, I'm if your look, the bearded woman. if your look is bearded woman, bearded femme, I have seen that look work very well. So good for you. Not my look. Also, mm, <laughs> I bought this thing and it just came yesterday. So I've used it twice already since last night, which, okay, low key obsessed, but it's called, it's basically one of those devices that claims to send like a microcurrent into your skin and then and okay. it, I mean it did kind of zing me a couple times but you have to put on this gel and then run it across your face and it's supposed to tighten your skin I sound like a crazy person like I hear it I hear it like when I'm talking and I think this is just a coping mechanism for me I, I've mm -hmm. just become now a little bit I'm going off the deep end a little bit I think so <laughs> that's just my weird thing glowing. I mentioned that earlier you're glowing so it's working thank you totally Totally. It's not just the sweat. It's me. not no. just the sweat from the hot flashes. <laughs> yeah. That too. Yeah. Uh. Oh my gosh. Okay, so tell me you guys have some kind of weird coping mechanism that has emerged in isolation, pseudo-isolation. Man. Well, I can't say it's new because I've always had these weird coping mechanisms. Um, but there are a lot of things, obviously, we can't do because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, so when I was like halfway through my cancer survival, so five years out, I started skydiving with my best friend, cancer survivor Ooh. best friend. We started jumping out of airplanes just for fun. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? <laughs> so, and I, I, honestly, the last time I jumped was uh, that's the last thing that I was thinking you were gonna say, like literally wow. the last thing. So, but uh, but I'm obsessed with skydiving videos, so <gasps> I I will watch them. If anyone sends me a skydiving video, I'll probably stop what I'm doing and watch it. <laughs> that is, and also just a couple years ago, I started doing training jujitsu, and then I broke my wrist doing it. Oh. early on so like a couple classes in i break my wrist and then i stop but it oh. doesn't mean that i'm not obsessed with it so <laughs> it's instagram uh -huh. i'm really not interested in instagram except for the jujitsu videos that i get to watch wow that's awesome. <laughs> i yeah. love it that's awesome okay that's so yeah. cool wow oh and speaking of videos actually yeah. flix is my best friend right now but, you know, for many, many years, my friends have been telling me how much they love Grey's Anatomy. And I don't really watch those kinds of the type of TV show. It just doesn't really interest me. Same. But I yeah. watched a couple seasons, a couple episodes. And then, you know, 16 seasons later, here oh. I am. Oh. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. So it, it, it pulls you in, huh? It like really gets you. And I'll just keep it playing. So they're my friends while I'm working here at Cancer oh. Kinship. They're playing in the background. <laughs> keep you company. Yeah. Right. You guys, Crazy that's, that's cool. Me right in. Yes. And then now I'm on to Suits. I'm watching Suits these days. Okay. I, wow. I totally get that. Because Amy Poehler <laughs> and the entire cast of Parks and Rec are my friends right now. We talk about everything. <laughs> like, it's, it's good times. I love them so much. They make me laugh. They make me cry. Yeah, The Office. I watched The Office when I was the going office. through yes. Oh my gosh. Oh my Love gosh. The Office. Funny. I'm obsessed That's good watching stuff. The Office bloopers. 
Oh, I have oh, not yes. gotten into that. Okay. Yes. Okay. The, I will laugh for 30 minutes straight watching the office bloopers. Oh, my God. New rabbit hole to go down, oh, right? Mm-hmm. Lauren, you have to have more than just karate and shelf building. Right. Well, I mean, you know, I started the, um, I started taking boxing. Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Oh. And, um, yeah, I think I'm just like, I don't know. I, I think I'm sort of mildly obsessed with, so I have some genes from before I had children that I'm like, suddenly like, I'm going to fit into these suckers. Oh, God. I have not achieved that yet. Um, and maybe I would never will, but it is my, it's my next little obsession. <laughs> oh no. I don't nice to have goals. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I have not worn. I'm worried. I'm sincerely worried about putting a pair of jeans on again. Number one, because I think we're all going to get discover how insanely uncomfortable jeans are. And then also, I don't know that my body is the same right now as it was pre-pandemic. Yeah. And that's just a thing. Well, try pre-pandemic and post two babies. Oh, you know. Oh, oh okay. So, well, yeah, that's ugh. got that going for me. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like as yeah. long as you can box, you should be able to wear whatever you want. There you go. You know. Who's going to tell I'll you any different? Right. Yeah. I don't know. Watch mm-hmm. out. <laughs> well, Yoli, thank you so much for being here. Cancer yes, Kinship is the name of the organization, cancerkinship.org. Org, yes. yes. Uh, they're on Instagram. I follow awesome. you on Instagram at Cancer Kinship, I believe. Thank you. Um, if I accidentally post a jujitsu video. Don't judge me. Oh, no. I would. Please do. That's awesome. I'm, in, I'm into it. I'm immediately into it. So, but thank you for being here. It's been awesome. Thank you Thanks. for having me. Oh yes, my God. thank you. Of course. Thank you, Yoli. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Check out Cancer yep. Kinship. See you at a painting uh, class on Zoom. Mm-hmm. <laughs>